Okay, and welcome back to another edition of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. Uh, this is uh, episode 24, I believe, and today um, I have another uh, brilliant uh, guest, and so no pressure, um, is Dr. Lee Breen. Um, and uh, I know Lee from um, some lectures that I've attended uh, for the ISSN diploma that he that he came and did, but most of you will have um, seen that name on research papers uh, on a number of topics, and in particular, um, I've got Leon today to talk about leucine and its relationship to um, things like the muscle anabolic response and muscle protein synthesis, and so on. So this is going to be a, this is going to be an exciting episode, Lee. So welcome. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah. So uh, it never it blows me away how. We're in a we're in a place with technology that you know we can do this sort of thing and and uh, as I was just saying to you offline, what's really cool about this and what I feel is a important component of this podcast is the ability to bring experts such as yourself, you know, the people that really are doing the research on on these topics and publishing, you know, the top end uh, papers, um, but bringing it to to the masses, and, and there are folks listening to this podcast, which, uh, as I just said, there's like, you know, over 120-something thousand subscribers now globally, all over the world. Um, we've got a few more here in the UK, because that's where this started, but you've got folks driving to work in the gym, you've got students, sports scientists, and so on. So um, when when you get that kind of audience, I think that, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's an honor to have, to have guys like yourself. And I know you're busy, I know you're in the middle of teaching and researching and all that stuff so let let's get cracking um as i as i mentioned and introduced um this episode is going to be uh on leucine particularly as it relates to performance i know you've done a whole ton of research um on its implications for things like aging and so on so we can maybe get into that at the end but let i mean what you know firstly um i know you're uh uh uh, a lecturer at um, University of Birmingham, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you've got a history at uh, McMaster University, and of course we've had Professor Stu Phillips, and I know I've got some other experts from there. But I mean, just loosely, what are you up to right now? Yeah, so um, the majority of my my research here at Birmingham has actually shifted uh, into a model of aging. So. Predominantly during my, my doctorate training, uh, I was interested in understanding the, the way we can manipulate exercise and nutritional paradigms to influence muscle protein metabolism. <clears throat> my PhD was uh, focused on, the, on those paradigms in the context of exercise, but subsequently the, the postdoctoral work I did uh, at Master University with Stu Phillips shifted that into, into an aging population. So uh, at the moment, we, we have a body of work we're conducting where we're trying to um, improve muscle protein metabolism in old muscles so how can we slow the process of age-related muscle wasting using exercise and nutrition in addition to that i have a number of postgraduate students who work for me here at the university of birmingham and we of course we do still um, we do still have an interest in in exercise adaptation in young trained individuals as well so we have studies ongoing in-house right now where we're using isotope traces muscle biopsy techniques to to measure muscle protein metabolism in, uh, in young weight trained guys as well and not to give too much away and, and spoil that for my, my postgraduate students who are uh, in the middle of analyzing the data and, and hopefully will publish and present the work next year. Um, what we're doing is ma- manipulating contractile variables 
um, to see if we can optimize the anabolic response to resistance exercise. Um, Right. So that's really the, the broader spectrum of what it is I do at the moment. Um, as I say, the, the, longer I'm, <clears throat> the longer I'm in the game, the more, the more I shift towards uh, muscle metabolism in, in old age and disease. Um, but also my training is as an exercise physiologist. I mean, initially, I wanted to be the, the classic sports scientist, so I do still have an interest in, in working with the athletes as well. And I'd like to think that I'll always continue that in, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, well, I, I had um, Kevin Carroll on um, a couple of podcasts ago and at, um, at, you know you know him obviously and you know the head of performance nutrition for the English Institute of Sport and we, we had a discussion amongst other things on this sort of concept of unleashing the power of food uh, which I still I still love that and you know obviously we, t- we talk about things like proteins carbohydrates amino acids and so on but of course we don't eat proteins amino acids we you know we eat food um, mm. but also this idea of of sports nutrition is uh, I mean I don't really like the word sports nutrition I like performance nutrition because um, as per clearly what you're doing in your research we're, we're, we're not necessarily looking at performance in the context of running as fast as you can down a track uh, performance could be an aging person who, who who's still wanting to be functional um you know there's there's so many different ways of looking at that and of course um you know the the population as a whole is you know the proportion of of aging people within that is is getting huge you know obviously the the growth and development of the what they call the baby boomers and and so on so the role for us as a as a performance nutritionist goes beyond that i guess classic concept of you know helping people get more muscular or or, or faster or, or the traditional athletic concept that, and that's what I find really exciting about this stuff and I know that that's exactly where a lot of your research is going is this this is this idea of you know of improving performance in, in human beings um, so let, let's break because I've heard you lecture quite a few times and I know you could talk for years about some of these things so I'm going to do my best to, yeah I'm going to I'm going to do my best to try and keep you on a on a straight and narrow concept here so I do want to talk about um, things like uh, muscle protein synthesis um, and you know the sort of anabolic stuff of muscle growth and so on because I know that that of all the topics that's one that is going to be of great interest we've had professors kevin tipton and Stu phillips talking about protein uh i've also had other people like um alan aragon and eric holmes uh talking about this uh maybe in a more sort of physique uh weight training bodybuilder type sort of focus uh, maybe from a more sort of pr- pragmatic grassroots sort of thing we've we've also had uh lane norton on and various others who've you know there's a lot of crossover here but mm-hmm. very specifically can i uh, take advantage of your knowledge then and, and you know when we talk about muscle protein turnover um let's set the stage because obviously we're going to talk about leucine here i mean what you know what are we even talking about here yeah of course so muscle protein turnover uh, refers to the the equilibrium or the or the balance between protein synthesis, so anabolism, muscle building, uh, and protein breakdown, so the degradation or the, um, the release of, of damaged or degraded muscle proteins as well. So at any given time, both of those processes are, um, are always switched on to, to one extent or another. Um, but the extent to which either process is turned on or off is, you can think of it almost as a dimmer switch. Um, 
So in response to resistance exercise and, and amino acids, we know that protein synthesis is switched on, so that, that dimmer switch is, is increased. And we also know that muscle protein breakdown is suppressed somewhat as well. So throughout the course of the day, um, the average human turns over somewhere between 1% to 2% of muscle protein a day. Um, so that's complete turnover of a muscle within about three to four months, if you think of it like that. Um, so that really gives you yeah, an indication of, of, of muscle protein turnover. That's, that equates to several hundred grams of muscle tissue turned over every single day. Um, in research, we have the capacity to, to use uh, quite sophisticated techniques to determine or measure rates of muscle protein synthesis and also rates <coughs> excuse me, of muscle protein breakdown as well. Um, we can also understand the, the anabolic signals within the muscle that, that switch on the processes of protein synthesis and degradation, and we can also uh, study those in quite uh, a lot of detail as well. So I'm sure that many of the listeners of this, uh, this particular podcast will have heard of the mTOR pathway. Mm. And so uh, there are a number of labs across the world now that have the, the capacity to, to measure the, the phosphorylation or the activity of these proteins to get some indication of how the process of synthesis or, or breakdown of muscle tissue um, is occurring. What I find really interesting in the, I, I guess, as as one follows the journey of knowledge in this in this idea of the turnover of protein or the accretion of of muscle mass and so on, is you mm. know, back. I mean, back in the old days, we, you know, I, I guess the emphasis was more on, you know, uh, you, you you know, you, you just need to train, uh, do a bit of lifting, maybe train to exhaustion, which of course we know isn't necessarily the only way now to do this. Uh, and uh, you just need to eat a hell of a lot of protein. Uh, but there was never really this focus on the importance of signaling itself. And mm. and and as I understand it, that that's where things really get exciting nowadays. Of course, the the development of technology, particularly in your in your scenario in the lab, the thing like you just said, there are there are some incredible technologies available. Still, maybe only in a few labs around the world, but the ability to understand these things is 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 huge. And obviously, it's it's an extremely complex process. But I I mean I've heard J- like James Norton Morton came up with a very interesting statement, which I'll be damned if I can paraphrase. But it's something along the lines of of how you know how nutrition can play a fundamental role in in whether or not those signaling processes are, are, are gonna you know are, are gonna result in a positive or negative impact on all this process i mean what you know why is nutrition so influential to this over and above simply just lifting yeah uh, well i agree with um i agree with the statement from from james uh, wholeheartedly we now know that nutrition serves, it's not merely the substrate to, to allow us to exercise for harder and longer, but it actually plays a pivotal role in how, how a muscle adapts and remodels as well. Uh, and in that context, over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, a lot of emphasis has been placed on, on the manipulation of, of nutrition, specifically protein nutrition with resistance exercise, in terms of how can we optimize um, the, the phenotypic muscle adaptation to, to a bout of training. And in that regard, if you go a little deeper, um, people have looked at how we can change the source of protein, what we can do in terms of timing of protein uh, intake, uh, and also how much dose of protein do we, do we need to, to optimize the anabolic signaling response, which the assumption is that that will ultimately feed through to enhance uh, or increase rates of protein synthesis to a greater extent. And so there are several labs across the world that are working, uh, working on, these, on these paradigms right now. Um, 
Just as a, as a note of caution though, um, and, I, and this is a point we'll touch on, I guess, as we go, we go into a little more detail throughout the podcast, is that an enhanced anabolic signaling response through the mTOR pathway does not necessarily translate to a, a greater muscle protein building response. And actually in the long term, it doesn't necessarily equate to, to greater muscle hypertrophy as well. So there are all kinds of supplements on the market, and, and I guess many of them actually use um, terminology like mTOR and S6 kinase, and they actually use the names of these anabolic signaling proteins in their, uh, in their titles and um, to try and have you believe or give off the impression that, that taking these supplements will continue to ramp up these anabolic signals. But ultimately, muscle protein synthesis, protein building, uh, is a rate-limiting process. So there is a limited capacity of the muscle to, to assimilate uh, new proteins into, into a growing peptide chain um, that, that extends beyond just simply anabolic signaling. Uh, and, I'm, well, hopefully we'll discuss that a little more as we, as we go on. Yeah, I, yeah it's, that, it's that thing, isn't it, where a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, particularly when you put it in the hands of marketing people and let them unleash that on <laughs> on the public. I, I guess this idea pervades our society that more is better. You know, and we, we, you know, it's, I, I, I mean, I actually, I had Mayor Ranchurdas on not so long ago, uh, and we really got into the whole placebo effect and um, the concept of placebo conditioning and, you know, the fact that the placebo effect itself, that, you know, the belief in, say that product, um, the impact that that may have mm. may be greater than whatever the product does. Uh, and obviously there's, there's a lot we don't know. I think it's fair to say as, as much rocket science as I know you can get into on this and as much as it sounds like we all know on this topic, I mean, we, uh, I mean it's fair to say, isn't it? We've just scratched the surface on this stuff. Yeah, I think that is fair to say. Um, I think it is fair to say. We're only just really understanding now <clears throat> the role or the mechanisms through which uh, a branched chain amino acid like leucine acts to, to signal to increase protein synthesis. Uh, and, and the majority of that work has actually been done in, in animals or cell culture as well. So uh, probably, what was it, 10 to 15 years ago now, the first, the first seminal work on, on the role of leucine in signaling to mTOR was, was conducted. And it was found that leucine, more so than every other essential amino acid, uh, seemed to enhance the phosphorylation or the activity of mTOR and increase protein synthesis to a greater extent uh, when provided in isolation. Um, so as a result of that, obviously, uh, that scientific knowledge was, was translated and, and then all of a sudden the message became that um, you know, proteins with a greater leucine content or adding more leucine on top of your traditional post, uh, post-workout protein stack is a better way to go to, to enhance to enhance uh, resistance training-induced hypertrophy. But we now know that's not necessarily the case. And just to echo the thoughts of some of the other speakers on this podcast, I I do agree that um, the priority should be given to unleashing the power of food first and foremost. I think the role of of supplements and and manipulating uh, specific uh, aspects of of supplementation, for example, leucine content, um, is really only that it's most useful in, in... high-level elite athletes as well. So, for example, an individual who has a, an eight weeks, eight weeks of pre-season training to try and gain two kilos of, of lean mass and increase power and functional performance relevant to their sport, I, I think then all of a sudden uh, manipulating the, the source, the timing, the, the dose of, of protein nutrition becomes particularly useful. But for the majority of us that are uh, just working out day-to-day and, and hoping to gain a little bit of muscle over time and uh, a little bit of strength, 
Uh, I think that uh, the majority of our protein nutrition needs can be met through whole food sources. Yeah. I had, yeah, I'm, when I was talking to uh, Kevin Tipton about this stuff, you know, it, th- I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a word that I use all the time, which is context, because you have to talk about this stuff in context. And, of course, what you've just said mirrors exactly what Kevin was saying about this stuff. You know, it, it might be relevant at the elite end, but at the most basic level, it's, it's probably not that important, which, which ironically is where all these supplements are being used. Uh, and and like you say, you you look at the label. You just go into any sports nutrition shop, any store on the high street, and and you start looking at these tubs of protein or, or pills. And you know the, the 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 level of rocket science that they're now inserting into the marketing text on the labels is 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 an obvious effort to take advantage of the you know of these developments in science but putting it in the wrong context because your average person this you know really isn't an issue I mean, especially when you understand of course um which maybe you could quickly describe to us is this idea that even in an energy deficit you know with the right exercise stimulus it is possible to stimulate um uh, some form of muscle protein synthesis uh, i believe yeah, that, that's that's entirely possible, and um, there's been some really nice work done uh, out in a lab in the states, and and more recently by by John Hawley's group in Australia, um, where they showed that even in an, an energy deficit, if you if you measure rates of muscle protein synthesis in the fasted state, you'll find that they're actually suppressed after a short period of energy deficit, so calorie cut. But actually, by performing resistance exercise and consuming uh, protein nutrition during that energy deficit, not only can you rescue that loss or that suppression of of muscle protein synthesis, but you can actually enhance it. And so with the right the right protein nutrition provided during a period of energy deficit, you can actually build muscle. It's possible to lose fat and build muscle at the same time, which was uh, a notion that was previously thought to be crazy. Um, and going back to some of the work Kevin Tipton's done as well, uh, a, a longer term study was conducted here in Birmingham a number of years ago now that showed that uh, a 40% cut in calories um, when uh, when implemented in the context of a, of a high protein uh, protein diet, uh, not only actually implemented a, a loss of fat mass uh, and, and enhanced rates of muscle mass gain as well. So, yeah, like I say, there's acute um, and chronic evidence to support the notion that uh, in energy deficit you don't necessarily need to lose muscle as well. But that's where protein nutrition uh, becomes particularly important. Yeah. So, I mean, as we as we're talking about this, and I think. It starts to become a, a jaw dropper to some people. Uh, of course, this this idea that even in an energy deficit, you can still have an anabolic scenario. Uh, and of course, what what we're getting into now is is the fact that there is a difference between, uh, I guess the, and I'm going to use the wrong terminology here, but I like to keep it simple. But sort of a the, the, sort of the a mechanical basis to hypertrophy as opposed to a metabolic basis. To hypertrophy, but of course you've you've got other factors, of course, which are going to you know jump into the mix on this, which which of course would be even genetics, of course, um, which is a whole other podcast in in itself. But you know the source of protein you mentioned, um, protein nutrition. People have different ideas about what that means, and and again, you know, the marketing of this is if 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 you were to believe the marketing. Um, the quality of protein 
is going to make the difference between a, a decent workout and a wasted workout. Um, and, you know, you, you hear people talking about, you know, the biological value of protein, uh, obviously, as we're moving towards leucine here, but, you know, the, the quantity of amino acids, type of amino acids, and then people slating plant-based proteins as opposed to, you know, animal sourced proteins i mean where you know where we where are we with all that well um just to to start off at a a very basic level we know that of all the 20 physiologically relevant amino acids that uh, the the eight or nine essential amino acids are the key drivers of muscle protein synthesis so it's these essential amino acids that switch on muscle protein synthesis Uh, within the essential amino acids the branch chain amino acids in particular are thought to play a particularly uh, important role in skeletal muscle hypertrophy. And so, yeah, in terms of where we're at, <laughs> there's been a, a number of, of acute studies conducted to show that uh, in animals, humans, and also in cell culture to show that if you, if you provide essential amino acids, and in particular leucine, you can, you can turn on um, or activate the mTOR pathway um, to, to quite, a, quite a great extent. Um, and what we know about whey protein, for example, is it's rich in essential amino acids and it has quite a high leucine content as well. In addition to that, whey protein is rapidly absorbed and digested, so it appears quite quickly uh, in the circulation. Those amino acids appear very rapidly uh, upon consumption. So a number of studies now have actually shown that whey protein uh, in the acute setting is, is more potent for stimulating muscle protein synthesis. And it's thought to be due to those two factors I mentioned, the, the relatively high leucine content, compared to other proteins such as casein and soy, but also its rapid appearance. And so there's something about those two factors combined that seems to provide a greater stimulus to this mTOR signaling pathway, which ultimately switches on uh, muscle protein synthesis. So a number of studies, like I said, have have shown this in in young and old folks. But I think where we're lacking is is there are very few well-controlled, what I would class as high-quality, long-term training studies to show that, that whey protein or a leucine-rich protein such as whey is more effective in, in augmenting muscle hypertrophy with resistance training. Now, there are some, some good studies out there, and at the moment, it seems that whatever you compare whey protein to in terms of long-term gains in muscle mass, it's always superior. So when you put it next to casein or carbohydrate or soy protein, whatever, uh, whey protein always seems to result in, in a slightly greater gaining lean mass, which obviously backs up some of the acute, the acute studies as well. However, I feel there's a, there's a need for further um, long-term studies to, to really try and iron out whether these, these acute effects that, of whey protein that we attribute to its rapid absorption and, and leucine content do hold true uh, in a long-term setting. Yeah. And I think that's where some of this message gets a bit lost, of course, because, and again, to to just go back to a conversation with Kevin Tipton on this stuff, you know, it's like, well, how relevant is this in the context of an average person's diet in a scenario where, you know, they're not in a famine, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not on the breadline, you know, they're just perfectly normal people eating perfectly normal foods. They may not be eating what people perceive to be the ultimate athlete diet, whatever that is, but on the other hand, you know, they're eating a normal range of foods. Now, if you if you follow this 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 research as it's portrayed by the again the the supplement companies, one would believe that 
that that average diet is is in itself inadequate to support muscle protein synthesis, which is why we must have these super duper, um, you know, high quality sources of, of supplements, which, yes, could be right. But also, that, I mean, that's a bit misleading, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's completely misleading. Yeah, so we know that in order to build, in order to build muscle or augment muscle mass gains with resistance training, that protein intake should be somewhere around about one point six grams per kilo body weight um, and upwards of that, really. So that's what we know, uh, and there's been a really nice meta-analysis from Luke Van Loon's group to to support the role of, of protein supplementation in, in helping to gain a little more lean mass. So. Higher protein diet or some form of protein supplementation does appear to, to help. But the question is to, as to whether a protein supplement, um, a commercially available supplement, is more effective than, than a high-quality protein food source. It's still, still up for debate, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. And, of course, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into, in a second, a very specific topic, which would be special scenarios uh, like vegans and vegetarians and, and mm-hmm. whatnot, because I know that there's some relevance there but just to come back to how all this is even working so with with um uh, what you have called the translational control of muscle protein synthesis obviously there's a physiological signal behind this process and we've got all this you know, this well-known activation uh, or, or the increase in mTOR um, and there are a variety of factors that that work with that you know there's the stress itself um there's obviously growth factors, there's amino acids and energy and so on. But very specifically, you're talking about one particular amino acid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what, you know, what is the significance of that one particular amino acid over and above everything else? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, you, you quite rightly mentioned that we have all these these different physiological signals, growth factors, amino acids, and resistance exercise or mechanical mechanical loading. And all of these signals seem to converge on mTOR um, to, to, and act synergistically to increase that mTOR response and, and promote a greater rate of protein synthesis. But what's quite interesting is, is that all of those different signals work to, to message to mTOR through different pathways. So that's why we think that protein nutrition or amino acids superimposed with resistance exercise results in a greater anabolic signaling response through mTOR and an enhanced muscle protein synthetic response. So at the molecular level, that may explain why a higher protein diet or protein supplementation with resistance exercise results in, in greater hypertrophy. When we, we talk about leucine, we're, we're still actually discovering uh, or uncovering what it is that's so special uh, about this branched-chain amino acid with regards to its, its signal to mTOR. So we know that in the muscle there are amino acid transporter proteins. Uh, but basically, in response to an abundance of amino acids, these, these transporter proteins will move to the, to the muscle membrane and bring the amino acids into the muscle cell. And what we know is that there is an amino acid transporter that's specific to leucine. So this may explain why leucine uh, can make its way into the cell and, and provide a, quite a robust signal to mTOR to switch on protein synthesis. On the other hand, uh, there's been the last five or six years uh, another protein discovered in muscle called VPS34 that's thought to be specifically activated or phosphorylated by leucine and that signal subsequently feeds feeds through to mTOR as well. So slightly different to any other essential amino acids, uh, upstream of mTOR, 
there appear to be pathways that are sensitive to leucine only or leucine more so than the others. Um, so that's why we think this branched-chain amino acid is particularly potent for promoting protein synthesis and muscle growth. Brilliant. So I think what we've done is we've introduced leucine. Um, and what I, because we haven't, I, I know, I know we could. This is a this is a topic that could just go on for hours and hours. And maybe maybe we'll have various versions of this. And there are certainly crossovers, as I mentioned with other guests on this podcast. But specifically on the relationship that leucine has in in this role in stimulating muscle protein synthesis and sort of, I think I think probably the best word we could use is optimizing mm. muscle hypertrophy but um you Sorry. in a lot in, in again another one of your your lectures so thank you for feeding me all this information <laughs> um you you went you, you went on to point out four particular things um that are relevant to this 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 discussion that we that i want to focus on now which is the um you know the source the dose the frequency and and the timing, which I think would be four four great little segments here that we could we could just quickly get into. So, focusing first on on source, what what's the relevance of source? Well, um, acutely in terms of stimulating muscle protein synthesis, the source seems to to play quite an important role. So, focusing once again on, on whey protein that we, we've already mentioned, um, as I said before, compared to other protein sources using casein and soy as an example. Uh, on a gram-for-gram gram basis, whey protein contains uh, a greater abundance of essential amino acids, which I've already, I've already told you are, are potent and, and required to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. But within that essential amino acid content of whey protein, it actually has a, a very high leucine content as well. And so this probably explains why in most acute studies of muscle protein synthesis, uh, whey protein always promotes a superior muscle anabolic response um, like I said before, the, the combination of its rapid absorption and appearance um, of leucine in, in the circulation seems to, to provide some form of, of trigger to, uh, to mTOR and, and to enhance muscle protein synthesis. This, has been, this, uh, this notion has been termed the, the leucine trigger. Okay, so the rapid absorption of whey protein combined with its, the, uh, the transient spike in blood leucine is thought to provide some form of a trigger, like I said. Um, and, and this may ultimately enhance the mTOR signal for muscle protein synthesis. So acutely, the source seems to play quite an important role in, in what kind of muscle protein synthetic response we get after resistance exercise. But drawing back to the point I made earlier that I still feel there's a need for um, high-quality, well-controlled, long-term studies yeah. where individuals are resistance trained for 8 to 12 weeks and, and, and yeah. fed different protein sources with with a tightly controlled uh, diet in there as well yeah, yeah. and I, and we've already said that i mean we the, this is a area that's barely been touched upon but what one area that i do like and and it's a terminology again that you've used i've heard uh Stu and kevin mention this um uh graham close has mentioned this in a lecture this this idea that that leucine may also be relevant when you're trying to rescue the quality of protein in certain scenarios and i mentioned earlier vegans and vegetarians and whatnot um mm. i mean do you want to just quickly explain what i mean by that yeah sure um you've, you've you've hit the point you've hit the point spot on actually i think as well um 
in the context of, of something that could be classed as a suboptimal um, dose or source of protein, we're now understanding that additional leucine actually rescues the acute muscle building response. So I was fortunate when I worked with Stuart Phillips to be uh, part of a study that was led by a good friend of mine, Tyler churchwood Vinay, in which we, we fed individuals 25 grams of whey protein, so something that could be considered close to an optimal protein source for post-exercise muscle building. But what we also did in that study was we, we fed them a quarter of that dose. So we provided them with just 6.25 grams of whey protein, which one would assume would elicit an inferior muscle building response. What we did in that study that was quite nice is that we, we added all the leucine that you would find in 25 grams back to the low quarter dose, so 6.25 grams of leucine. So it was a, high, it was a low protein, high leucine dose. And actually what we found that when we measured resting um, rates, sort of feeding only rates of muscle protein synthesis, was the response was equivalent between 25 grams and 6.25 grams of whey, provided that we added all the leucine back in. So this really supports the, the important role that leucine may play in rescuing the muscle anabolic response to a suboptimal um, protein source. Worth mentioning, though, is that we also had a, a resistance exercise condition in that study as well. So individuals uh, performed quite a heavy bout of resistance exercise and then consumed the same treatments. So 25 grams of whey protein that we would consider to be optimal or 6.25 grams of whey protein with, with all the leucine added back in as well. And what we found is we looked at muscle protein synthesis over the first three hours post-exercise, and then we looked at muscle protein synthesis again over three to five hours post-exercise. And the first three hours after exercise, we found the response was equivalent to 20, uh, between 25 grams of whey and 6.25 grams, the quarter dose, with all the leucine added back. So in that early post-exercise period, that additional leucine once again seemed to rescue some muscle anabolic response. However, important to note is that during the, the three to five hour post-exercise period, um, rates of protein synthesis were sustained only in the 25 gram dose. And we think that's due to those additional uh, amino acids which act as substrate to continue to support elevated protein synthesis rates. In the quarter dose condition, those rates drop back down to baseline again quite quickly. So leucine is important in, in some respects, um, but ultimately, a full complement of amino acids are required to continue to drive that muscle growth response after resistance exercise. Yeah, so clearly in, in getting enough is important, but more is not necessarily better. Um, <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's where I think people tend to get this wrong. So obviously we've gotten into dose a bit here. I mean, is it, generally speaking, is there anything other than that, we should be concerned with in terms of, of dose? No, I don't think so. And, I, um, and I'm sure that, that Profs Tipton and, and Phillips touched on this a little bit more in their podcast, but um, we've known for a while that, that a dose of 20 grams of protein seems, seems to be optimal to, to saturate the muscle protein synthetic response after resistance exercise. And, and more recently, some work that, that came out of a collaborative effort between um, ourselves and, and a couple of other labs refined those guidelines to suggest that about 0.25 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein in the post-exercise period is sufficient to, to maximize muscle protein synthesis. So if we think about a high-quality protein source uh, such as, as whey protein, in a 25-gram dose, uh, which would be sufficient to support 
maximal rates of synthesis in a 100 kilogram individual, that would provide somewhere in the range of three to four grams of leucine. Okay, and we know that that seems to be optimal to saturate the response. When you provide more leucine on top of that, so you, you try sprinkling a little bit more of that, that pixie dust on top, it doesn't seem to further increase the response. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's an important message to, to, you know, for us to consider where typically, typically uh, not so much, uh, you know, six foot six, 20 stone, uh, you know, t- 200, 200, 200 kilogram rugby players or you know monster sized giant sized bodybuilders but your average uh recreational athlete that that's hitting the gym three four times a week that is interested in gaining a bit of muscle and so on probably a decent habitual diet is actually probably hitting that because of course they're not they're not weighing 100 kilos you know they're more likely 60 kilos or 70 kilos so um so, uh, so I think that that's worth bearing in mind. So, okay, we talked about source, we talked about dose. Um, next is uh, is frequency and then timing. So, fre- so what's the relevance of frequency here? Well, um, the, rel- the relevancy of uh, frequency um, relates back to this whole uh, this whole notion of the the optimal anabolic window of opportunity in which to to consume nutrition to maximise um, muscle protein synthesis and one would think hypertrophy over time. So seminal work conducted in the, in the late 90s actually showed that the muscle protein turnover in response to a bout of resistance exercises is altered for quite, quite a long time after the exercise bout. So it's not a case of protein synthesis up for two hours and then it's back down again and you need to try and consume nutrition in that, in that acute window. But actually muscle protein turnover is, is altered for around about 48 hours and it, and it may even extend beyond that as well. Um, and so really that was the first evidence that, that perhaps it's not just the it's not just the nutrition that we consume in the immediate hour or two after exercise that's important but given that muscle protein metabolism is altered for such a long time perhaps we need to consider the type of protein nutrition that we consume in every in every single meal throughout the rest of the day as well so some really nice uh, some really nice work once again from John Hawley's lab in Australia uh, a recent a recent publication they actually had individuals come into the lab and study them for a 12-hour 12 12 hour period after a bout of resistance exercise and, uh, and had them consume protein nutrition in one of four different, uh, one of four different ways. So all of these guys hit the, hit the gym, performed quite a heavy workout, and then rested in bed for 12 hours. During that time, they, they consumed a total of 80 grams of, of whey protein over 12 hours. But what was different was that the, the participants in that, that study were separated into one of three groups. So one group consumed 40 grams of protein twice over the entire 12-hour period, so two big hits of of quite a large dose of whey protein. Uh, Another group consumed uh, a moderate intake of whey protein, so this was four times 20-gram hits of protein every three hours over the course of the the 12 hours. Uh, And a final group consumed eight small 10-gram shots almost, or pulses, of, of whey protein over that 12 hours and actually what the authors demonstrated was the most the most superior muscle building response over that entire 12 hours was found in the group that consumed 20 grams four times okay which which goes against the totally goes against the notion that more is better um, and it also goes to shows us that it's not just the nutrition that we consume um, in the changing room straight after the workout that's important but it's also the type of uh, and um, 
a dose of protein nutrition that we consume in every single meal afterwards it's important as well so individuals who are undertaking resistance training with the, the aim of, of building muscle mass need to consider uh, the types of protein they eat with every single meal not just chugging back that, that huge protein shake straight after the workout as well so the notion of the anabolic window has been a little bit overplayed somewhat uh, in recent years that's not to say that it, it certainly doesn't hurt to consume protein straight after a workout but um yeah, it's important to consider the rest of the day as well. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> we've done a few podcasts on that actually, which I think pretty much explodes the idea of the importance of that. And actually, we're we're just about to get onto the fourth and final bit on timing. But uh, you know, it it is fair to say that you still see people in the gym, um, you know, in the in it, even between sets, you know, between their leg presses or squats, you know, they're they're popping their branch chain amino acids or whatever in the belief that that somehow um makes a, a a difference and or you can see the anxiety setting into someone who forgot their protein shake uh you know and of course we forget that that there there are there are there are things like pharmacokinetics and there are things like rates of digestion and there's all kinds of factors here and of course you know when you eat your meat it, it's not instantly in the bloodstream and it's not instantly going into the cells and tissues it takes time to be broken down and distributed um throughout the body via the bloodstream and so on so of course if you're eating three four regular meals a day there's a pretty good chance that, that as long as those meals themselves as in real food uh aka unleashing the power of food of course but as long as all that is in place there's a good chance these things are all in place anyway aren't they in in a normal situation absolutely yeah i completely agree with completely agree with that statement um, some really nice work from uh, a couple of years ago actually showed that consuming protein uh, during about a resistance exercise may may certainly not be an optimal approach so we we know two things happen uh, during resistance exercise. Obviously, in order to allow for repeated contraction uh, of the muscle, so going back and hitting another set over and over again, we know that uh, that's an energy-consuming process. And we know that when these, these signals that regulate energy, uh, energy metabolism in the muscle are switched on, that it's actually uh, it somewhat suppresses or down-regulates muscle protein synthesis. So mid-exercise is not a great time to, to build muscle. The muscle's focusing on other priorities than, than building or accreting muscle proteins. Um, there's another aspect to that as well in that a strenuous bout of resistance exercise also causes a very uh, a micro uh, damage to the, the splanchnic region as well. So we get micro damage in the gut. Obviously, during exercise, there's a redistribution of blood flow away from our gut area to the working muscles. Uh, and actually, that causes the release of, of certain... Um, of certain hormones that are thought to be representative of muscle of, of micro damage in the in the gut region as well, and actually when you when you consume protein immediately after about a resistance exercise, regardless of what source it is, the appearance of those amino acids in the circulation is actually somewhat suppressed to compared to when you consume that protein nutrition at rest without exercise. So there's something about this micro damage to the splanchnic gut region that causes the appearance of amino acids to be to be suppressed somewhat. The, the evidence available suggests that that micro trauma of, in the gut region with resistance exercise subsides by around about 30 minutes after the exercise. So it's quite a transient event. But ultimately, when you gather all that evidence together, it suggests to me that, um, that consuming branched chain amino acids or whey protein or whatever it is 
in between each single set of resistance exercises is not necessarily uh, is not necessarily going to result in a greater training adaptation. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's of course where all this sort of comes to a head. Of course, is the sort of simplistic nature in which this stuff ends up at the grassroots level, which is why I've got guys like you on this podcast is to try and deliver this information. You know, and of course, as I said, we could talk about this forever, and there are other subjects like which sort of slight paradigm shifts in how we look at this stuff because of course one could argue that what what you ate several hours before the workout actually is your post-workout nutrition you know based on delivery times and digestion and so on so but i mean specifically timing itself um which we kind of touched on already but i mean what, what are the what are the main points you feel are necessary when thinking about timing well yeah we've we've already covered uh, what I feel are most of the most of the important points if I was to give anyone uh, advice uh, a coach or an athlete whose whose aim is to try and to try and uh, use protein nutrition to optimize resistance exercise induce gains in muscle mass I think certainly there's there's no harm to consuming uh, some form of protein in the in the post exercise period within within one hour is, is usually appropriate I don't think it's the case that as soon as you finish your workout, you need to, to chug that protein straight back. And, and based on what we just spoke about, about that micro trauma of the, in the gut region, it may actually be better to leave it 30 minutes or an hour before you, you consume your protein nutrition. If you think that appearance of amino acids or leucine in the blood is an important driver for mTOR signaling and protein synthesis, then certainly um, that supports the, the potential to, to leave consuming protein for 30 to 60 minutes after your workout. Once again, though, just to, as, as a note of caution, I think it's, it's important to state that I'm talking only in an acute setting here. We, we still lack really good uh, long-term studies to, to show that, um, that one timing regime over another results in superior gains in muscle mass. So does consuming protein nutrition before exercise um, lead to greater gains than if we consume it mid or post-exercise? We still don't really, don't really know the answer to that. Um, above and beyond what happens in the first hour after exercise, uh, I think consuming uh, an optimal protein dose, in, be it in supplement form or in a food source, every three to four hours with each meal for the rest of the day is certainly a, a good way to go, actually. Um, beyond that, I would certainly consider what you do the next day as well. So even t- between 24 and 48 hours after the workout, I think it's still important to to consume um, an optimal dose and source of protein with, with every single meal as well. And we're not talking about <clears throat> four or five whey protein shakes a day here. Uh, I think you can get the protein nutrition you need and the, and the leucine requirement from um, a good cut of beef or fish or a couple of glasses of milk uh, as well. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. And I think we covered all the, the points here. And I think since we're at the end now, just so we can bring this into into context and and just so people can you know bring everything that that we've discussed into sort of practical terms really what we're mentioning here is is the relevance of this is is more specifically maybe maybe in your bigger guys um who aren't necessarily able to consume enough protein um to match some of these targets and by bigger guys i'm saying you know like your your uh, 230-40-odd-pound sort of massive rugby players, bodybuilders, American football players, you know, those guys classically 
uh, and frequently have problems consuming maybe enough protein. And obviously, people with in special populations like um, uh, vegans, uh, vegetarians, uh, 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 and, and such. Uh, but generally, you probably don't need to be rushing out there. Uh, and enhancing everything with high doses of leucine supplementation uh, and so on, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we, at the signaling level, um, when we talk about amino acid transporters and that, that protein I mentioned, VPS34, and also mTOR, leucine does some, some quite wonderful things. So the more we provide, the more it seems to, to increase those, those signals within the muscle. But ultimately, muscle protein synthesis is saturated way before that occurs. So we can continue to to sprinkle a little, a little of the, the leucine on there and increase that anabolic signaling response, but it doesn't translate to greater, greater rates of muscle protein synthesis. That's, that response is already saturated way before, as I mentioned. So how does that translate to a practical setting? Well, I think that the, the majority of us can get, um, can get the, the leucine requirements and the, and the essential amino acid requirements from, um, from protein-rich food sources. But as you mentioned, I think protein supplementation becomes more useful for, for these bigger individuals as well <clears throat> who, who may struggle to get, get the higher protein intakes in. Uh, and also as a, as a method for convenience, I mean, I, I personally do supplement with whey protein, but it's more just due to the fact that um, <laughs> sometimes I often skip meals and I don't have time to, to necessarily sit down and eat, uh, focus on my diet uh, in, in the same level that an elite athlete would. So it's useful for it as a method for convenience uh, as well, I feel. And like you said, also rescuing the response, the muscle anabolic response to a, to a suboptimal um, protein source meal. Um, leucine can also be useful in that context as well. So if we, if, we think about the, if we think about the model of aging, we know that the muscle protein synthetic response to, to amino acid and protein nutrition is, is suppressed in old muscles. But some really nice work over the last five or six years and then particularly some, some stuff that came out of Holland, actually showed that if you, if you add a little bit of leucine back into, uh, into a suboptimal protein source in all the muscles, it rescues the response to it. It restores a youthful muscle-building response in all muscles. So I think that certainly has implications for individuals who don't have access to, to a high-quality, protein-rich meal four or five times a day. Perhaps in that scenario, leucine supplementation could become, could become quite useful. But... I'd be surprised if anyone other than, than an elite, high-level athlete and coach are using those kinds of strategies. I think in the majority of individuals working out to try and gain a little muscle mass and strength, I'm not sure that adding leucine on top of this optimal protein source that we, we spoke about, so think about 25, 30 grams of whey protein. Uh, I'm not sure that that additional leucine is going to do, do an awful lot more, apart from simply enhance the, the mTOR signaling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's it, really. So, yeah, those those would be my take home take home points on on the role of leucine in muscle building. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. I think it's been it's been pretty comprehensively, and uh, uh, I you know I deeply appreciate your your time on this. Um, I think we can conclude the podcast on those on those points that you've made, and and I always make a point of saying, look, you know, this particularly for us as practitioners um sports nutritionists performance nutritionists strength and conditioning coaches whatever uh these are just you know this knowledge is tools in the toolbox that helps us to you know when we perform a needs analysis and understanding what does our client need and what advice do we need to be giving this this helps us make those 
those decisions and um, this kind of stuff that you've been talking about you know is is valuable invaluable really to that toolbox so um, it's been great to have you on the podcast mate um looking forward to maybe getting you back next year if there's any updates particularly from your research got to get into the aging uh scenario i think that's worthy of some specific focus um just before we sign off here um i always like to to uh, give a little bit of promotion to uh, your own um uh education uh, programs and so on so i know in your uh, your department, you've, you've got a, uh, I know you have PhD students and MSc students and so on. Mm-hmm. So if, if people want to learn more about the courses and, you know, graduate programs, etc., that, that you have on offer, how do they find out more about, about what, what you guys are up to? Yeah. Um, well, if you simply visit the, um, the School of Sport and Exercise and Rehabilitation Sciences webpage on the University of Birmingham, you can find out all the information uh, you need on that. So we offer um, bachelor's degrees in, in sport and exercise coaching and, and also sport and exercise science as well. More recently, we've, uh, we're in the third year now of our, of our new MSc in sport and exercise science program as well, which is going, uh, it's going really well. And within that MSc, I, I lead uh, a module on nutrition and metabolism, and uh, we, we get in some great guest speakers um, to, to present to our MSc cohort, many of whom have, have spoken on the, on the podcast here as well. So that'll be running again this year, and we hope to improve that, that module further. Uh, just one final um, one final point is that we've also um, recently, through our collaboration with the MRC ARUK Centre for Musculoskeletal Aging here at Birmingham, developed a new MSc course in musculoskeletal aging. So, oh, anyone with an interest in yeah, anyone with an interest in, in nutrition and, and physiology and metabolism, in, specifically in, in in the context of aging, um, should strongly consider consider that program as well. Yeah. Um, it's one it's one of a kind really in the UK, uh, focusing on musculoskeletal health in all folks. And uh, once again, myself and, and a few of my colleagues in Sportex here at the University of Birmingham will, will teach and deliver on that module as well. So that, that starts in October 2015, but I think applications will be open fairly soon for that. Yeah. Oh, well, that is, yeah, that's going to that's gonna be a brilliant one. And, and like you say, you guys are going to be uniquely doing this but of course there's no shortage of old folks out there so uh so there's a lot there's a lot we could do yeah so uh thanks lee i appreciate again um uh having you on board um that's the end of this podcast um podcast number 24 on leucine and muscle protein synthesis etc i of course am laurel bannock you can learn more about uh this podcast and of course um if uh wherever you live in the world you can also um, get lectures from people like Dr. Lee Breen uh, on these topics who's done lectures for us on the ISSN uh, diploma program you can learn more about that on the uh, uh, web at issndiploma.com and um, I myself am also um, leading a new master's degree at Middlesex University from September uh, 2015 onwards on applied sports and exercise nutrition which is another opportunity again details on that shortly at Middlesex University but also um, uh, guruperformance.com thanks for listening looking forward to bringing another podcast back to you guys very soon